back for round two with Coley and Kavanaugh today. And guys, uh, you know, we were talking about these numbers and as soon as they drop production, they drop yield numbers down just a little bit. John, one of your first reactions was, but then they adjusted the demand. So really it wasn't as bullish as what it looks like actually on paper. Yeah, that's correct. They lowered demand for both corn and soybeans and corn, uh, my gosh, you know, they only dropped to 25 million bushels. However, they've dropped it almost every report. You know, that thing started out beginning of the crop year. They were looking for corn exports to be somewhere in the vicinity of 2.3 billion in this last report, but it's just barely above 1.6 billion. You realize they dropped that thing almost 700 million bushels <laughs> since uh, Wow. I'm not sure I've ever seen that happen. They also dropped the ethanol production slightly. For next year, though, they put ethanol production higher. I'm not sure I understand that. And they've got exports uh, for corn next year back over $2 billion at 2050. I don't know if I agree with that number, folks. We've had a, a lot of competition from Brazil show up this year, and the Brazil's got a huge crop coming out for this year. And yet they've got that number going up sharply next year to over two billion. They might be a little bit optimistic on that, but time will tell. And soybeans, they've actually got next year's exports on soybeans lower than this year. I don't know, David. I'm not sure I quite agree with that. They have crush going up, which I do agree with because there's more crush capacity coming on. That makes sense. But when it comes to exports, I think they're not optimistic enough on soybean exports. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, when you look at the reduced carryover numbers the number this year for the average price of beans are 14.2 and for this year they're up they're from 1240 to 1270 up 30 so the usda is seeing demand dropping but they're also seeing a smaller crop smaller yield and unchanged acreage which is really right but you've got less demand for it but at the same time it does look very interesting when you add up all these numbers and you see where the carryover is and see that carryover number affecting the average price of our beans for the next year. So, John, how do you feel like the market is going to react to these numbers come next week? We come to the tail end of the trading day here on Friday yesterday, and everything was down, down across the board in all the major grains. But, you know, you always look at it, and, you know, and historically, uh, the market changes about 5%, 3 to 5% in the week following one of these forecasts particularly when they come out on Friday and give everybody a chance to kind of digest it over the weekend and think about it. So what do you expect it to look like as we open trading on Monday morning? Oh, I'll tell you what I think. I think that the market was just kind of stabilizing going into this report because, uh, you know, it's a bump in the road. They wanted to get out of the way. It's gone now, and you stop and look at it. There was nothing there that was uh, uh, particularly bullish at all. In fact, that the fact that, uh, frankly, we've gotten so much rain improvement in weather in August and it looks like the balance of August is also going to be favorable unless there is some kind of a major change in the weather forecast for the balance of August. I think it's pretty clear. I think we're going lower. Hmm. David, one of the things that could also adjust things is, is that it looks like the forecast is calling for scattered rain showers for about the next five, maybe seven days, and then it looks like things are going to dry out again. What forecast are you hearing and your idea how that might impact the crops? The thing that really interests me is that August typically is going to be dry weather. But the interesting point here is that after those rains come through next week and they're pretty spotty, it'll start to be very, very dry again. And that's the thing I think people should anticipate. Plus, cooler weather coming too because the Canadian high is going to start work, working toward us the last half of August and in September. 
I think that's going to be the main point. It's not going to be lack of rain. It's going to be the cooler temperatures across the belt that we see. And, David, uh, if we get uh, some decent rains, you know, the next five to seven days after that, I'm not sure it's going to matter very much. And that's kind of where I was going, you know, is you look at this stuff and you say to yourself, well, okay, uh, how dry does it have to get to really make an impact on things? But in any event, uh, let's uh, move kind of back into this demand conversation because I think, you know, one of the things we need to be concerned about at least is where are we going to get additional demand, number one? And number two, is it going to be enough to gobble up some of the excess that we've got out there, and specifically, David, about Brazil. Total corn production this year to be 135.4 million metric tons. Uh, That's up from 132.3 and up from where they started on this this, uh, second corn crop. Started out at 97.9 million metric tons. And uh, now it looks like it's going to end up around 105 to maybe even 108 million metric tons. So up significantly from their original so, you know, you, you look at crops like that that are coming out, you look at the fact that Indiana and Ohio are going to have some record-breaking corn and soybean crops this year. Where are we going to find that extra demand to gobble up all this extra commodities? Yeah, and there's a problem with that. Because if you look at Brazil, they're the largest beef exporting area in the world, and they're definitely wanting more corn, they want more milk, they want to feed more cattle because the demand for beef is so strong. But here... The cost of our feed is so high that the reports, I was wrong. I thought for sure we'd start to see an increase in cattle feeding, and we're not. We're not seeing any increases in cattle feeding or poultry feeding or pork feeding. I'm really surprised on both sides of the poultry, both eggs and with broilers, and it's got to all do with the feed cost right now Mm. and the high cost of meats. And the grocery stores, they're not selling as much meat as they used to. And that's what's really bothered me because it's an economic problem for the meat market and it relates to the grain. Well, there you go. And speaking of grains and where are we going to find some of the demand? You know, the demand picture for us really has centered uh, significantly around China. And China has, uh, to a point that, David, you were making about the typhoon blowing through there, China's corn and soybean crops were... First of all, they were suffering dramatically from intense drought, and then that switched over to flooding from those heavy rains from the typhoon that came through, and apparently about half a million hectares were underwater there. But then on Friday, and John, you and I have talked about this, but Friday, China's ag supply and demand estimates come out, and they left them unchanged. Unchanged. And I'm thinking to myself, hold it now. David was talking about a typhoon. I just, you know, you hear that, and it's, it just seems unlikely that there would be absolutely no damage. Yeah, the communist countries tend to always aggrandize what they're doing and say how good it's going. But the problem is, as you said, it's been so dry there in their crop regions, especially their corn and rice crops. And what's happened is it's flooded there now because of this typhoon. And because of that, they're going to lose up to 5 million metric tons of their corn. That's about 2% of the output. But remember, this is not counting for everything at this point. And they're saying a lot of these areas have been affected by flooding. And because of that, until the floods start to abate or lessen, they're going to see what the crop looks like. And I think that's a big problem for the Chinese because they really don't have the skill of going out and seeing what these crops are because – it's not the big fields like we have here. It's just like little tiny fields, like patchwork all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to figure out what the crop size is ultimately until you try and feed it to the animals. Yeah, that's a very good point, David. But you have to assume there's probably been some kind of crop damage to the corn. 
But if so, they're not going to let us know, not at this point. No. That's typical of the Chinese. But you, your point about uh, you know the, how much more difficult it is to determine the craft size over there is very true. Yeah, and the best part about this is who have been our best buyers recently. It's not China anymore. It's Mexico and Canada right. have been buying corn, beans, and meal and everything, wheat from us. And remember, Canada's facing an extreme drought this year. I know we, we bellyached about our drought. But their drought is much, much worse than ours, one of the worst of any time, even going back 200 years. So China, I think, is out of the picture. Mexico and Canada come into it. But we need more of it, David, because the uh, export sales of both corn and soybeans for this time of the year are still running well behind average. China's bought a lot of new craft soybeans. They bought some more this past week. And that's encouraging, but it's still running behind our five-year average. And so the overall demand for next year's exports is still not where it should be. One of the things that has been a bright spot, if you will, has been our pork exports. Apparently, David, the entire world really likes our pork. And so two things. First of all, the exports have been up, but uh, really since the prices have been up, so the amount of money we've been making off of it has been pretty good as well. Yeah, that's certainly true because we've worked hard, very hard on livestock genetics, not just the hogs, but cattle and poultry too. And the point is, that our pork just tastes phenomenal because when you look around the world, you know, we're harvesting hogs that are like 265 to 285 the market weight. Now across the world, they're marketing about 125 to 145 and they're mostly fatty meat. They're not the drier, leaner meat that we have here, which is actually has better taste to it ultimately longer term. And that's one thing that's driving the demand for U.S. pork. Hmm. Kind of like the veal of pork. <laughs> we're, we're at that place. We need to step aside and let Mr. Kavanaugh give us his uh, final word. Rather than argue about it, just give him the time. <laughs> All right. Actually, I want to point out some good news. The report on Friday showed that Indiana is looking at, a, at matching its previous record production for corn and soybeans with a projected yield of 60 BPA on soybeans and 195 per acre on corn. Wow, that's fantastic. Excellent. Uh, however, my final word is, is very simple. The weather that we've seen in August has been pretty close to ideal with four coming. So I am going to, and David, I'll take you to task on this, but I believe the numbers we saw Friday for yield and production on corn and beans are the lowest numbers you're going to see this year. Future reports are going to increase yield and production. Yeah, here, but not in the Western Corn Belt. And I'm going to stand on that. I think you're being a little too pessimistic. The Western Corn Belt's had some problems, but not as much as the past few years. And I think you're exaggerating that one. The visit each week with Coley and Kavanaugh is made possible by support from the Allen County Farm Bureau. Indiana farm families are working daily to feed our nation, and that makes it hard to go to the state capitol or even Washington, D.C. to deal with the kind of priorities that your Farm Bureau is focused on right now, like the Farm Safety Net, Conservation, Nutrition, and the Market Access Program, MAP, that helps with demand for all of the commodities that we raise here in the state of Indiana. And when you get a Farm Bureau membership, you're supporting the farmers that feed us. Support your local Farm Bureau with a membership. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org podcasts by Federated Media.